0: Hey team, welcome to The Off Season. The Off Season is an exploration of athletic health, recovery, and performance told through stories of athletes and their medical and training team. I hope you enjoy. Now for a quick, but mandatory medical disclaimer. This podcast is for general informational purposes only and does not constitute the practice of naturopathic medicine or other professional healthcare services, including the giving of medical advice. No doctor-patient relationship is formed. Use of this material is at user's own risk. Listeners should not disregard or delay in obtaining medical advice for any medical conditions they may have, and should seek assistance from their trusted healthcare professional for any condition. This podcast does not speak on behalf of naturopathic medicine and does not represent the views of the profession as a whole. Welcome back, another episode of The Offseason. Today I'm chatting with Liam McVarnock. He is a triathlete from Nova Scotia and also a personal trainer. So I was kind of racking the internet one day and I came across this documentary called The Big Run. And it's actually Liam's attempt to run 100 miles in under 24 hours. So I don't want to give any spoilers. Check this episode out. We walk through it all.
1: Hey, Liam. Welcome to the off-season. Thank you very much for having me. I appreciate it. Yeah, no worries. I always think
2: it's hilarious because, like, you talk to the person and then you hit record and then you have to say, like, hello again.
1: Yeah, it's, uh, it's the way it is for the, uh, for the internet.
2: Yeah, exactly. Um, Yeah. So I actually started my morning with the documentary on your big run. It was I was almost tearing up, you know, first thing in the morning. You're not really ready for an emotional video, but it was pretty intense.
1: Yeah, no, they uh, they captured the essence of it very well. And I think with the music changes and all these things, I think it's a it's a little bit of a roller coaster.
2: Yeah, for sure. So before we get into that, why don't you tell everyone a little bit about yourself?
1: Okay, so my name is Liam McVernick. I'm a 24 year old, uh, I guess I'd classify as an endurance athlete uh, from Halifax, Nova Scotia. I grew up playing team sports, soccer, football, you know, any sport you can get your hands on. Um, And I'm a personal trainer.
2: Awesome. What got you into endurance athletics?
1: Uh, I got bored with lifting weights actually, uh, <laughs> it's just, it was a clear challenge and I, I was on the weird part of YouTube one day and I, I found Ironman triathlons and I kind of got hooked on that concept. And then I I entered down the rabbit hole.
2: Definitely. So like when you started researching Ironman triathlons, like what about it was, was interesting to you. And I totally hear you like in the weight room, sometimes you're just like, okay pick things up you put them down you pick them up what about
1: this sport was like intriguing for you uh with the ironman triathlon i think it was i didn't think i could physically do it so like i'm a i'm a pretty terrible swimmer and i had meniscus and acl repair when i was 17. so and i run i walk around at like five nine i want to say five ten but i'd probably be stealing half an inch uh and i'm like 190 so i'm not how you would view a typical endurance athlete uh so for me, I didn't see very many people that looked like me in those videos. So I was like, can I do that?
2: Yeah, definitely. That's a really good point. Actually, most of like the endurance, endurance athletes I see are like a very small build and um, that's kind of their frame, but you got some muscle on you, hey? Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. So like, how did it all start? What was your first long distance athletic event?
1: Uh, So I was living, I, I lived overseas for three and a half years. So my first long distance one would be a half marathon in New Zealand. And that probably would have been, don't quote me on this, maybe 2017. Yeah. What was that like? It was good, but I was like destroyed at the end of it. Like really, really like my legs did not work for like two days.
2: So like most of the stuff I do in clinic with a lot of endurance athletes is like maximizing hydration and maximizing food. Were you thinking anything on those lines or was it just get through this race kind of?
1: I knew nothing about this. It was actually St. Patrick's Day that day. And it was in this like town called Mount Mount Monganui And it was a nighttime half marathon. So I had friends that were actually going to a bar. So I just wanted to finish the run so I could go to the bar with my friends.
2: Oh my goodness. So you're running this whole thing at night. Yeah. And your first one, you just picked it at night.
1: Yeah, it was just, it was a cool event. Like they had some like glow in the dark lights. Like it was this event called like We Run the Night. And it was, it was quite like well organized, but it was just this pretty vanilla seven kilometer, uh, pavement loop that you do three times. Um, and that just happened to be the first one I ever did.
2: That's wild to me. Like the very first endurance thing I've ever done turned me off of endurance sports so quickly, but it sounds like you got pretty addicted to it.
1: Yeah, no, I liked it. Like the funny thing is though, like I did that and then for like over a year it laid dormant and I didn't action anything on it after that. Um, it wasn't until I actually came back home to Canada and then I settled into like a kind of routine job that I kind of found myself looking for that next step.
2: And what was that next one?
1: It was the Iron Man.
2: Oh, crazy. Okay. So you just jumped right up to Iron Man right after that.
1: Yeah. Like once I, I, I got in the weird part of YouTube. And then once I found those videos, like I, I would like, go to sleep and I still like remember stuff in those videos. And I was like, man, I need to do this. So then Easy. I just like, I just signed up for it and I figured everything else out.
2: What was the Ironman? What was your first Ironman?
1: It was at Montreux Blanc in Quebec. Um, Mm -hmm. I would have signed up in November or October, 2018 or November, 2018. And then it was in August, 2019. So did you
2: take all of that time to start to prepare for it?
1: Most of it, but like I didn't have a bike yet and I was, I'm not exaggerating. Like I'm a terrible swimmer. Like I think I'm as negatively buoyant as you can get. So I just, just started getting comfortable in the water. I was doing like the spin bike at work, going for runs, didn't really have a plan. And then starting in January, I actually hired a coach. And then I got serious.
2: That's awesome. Who was your coach? Someone from around here?
1: Uh, from around here, yeah. Michael G. Feller, if you know
2: him. No, I don't.
1: But does he do like a lot of athletes, endurance athletes? He he did, but uh, he runs a physio clinic, I believe, in Bedford now. Um, but he he did it kind of as like a passion project before. But I think... Mm-hmm. You know, he's a young guy. He, he's really good himself at running. He's like Boston qualifying or a fa- level faster guy. So I think he just kind of got busy. So I don't think he's coaching anymore, which is a shame because he's a really good coach.
2: That's awesome. So what is, what goes into training for an Ironman? Like I definitely thought about it before and like I figured I should have to be able to do a try before I could do an Ironman, but it sounds like you just jumped right into it. I'd love the, to know the process for it.
1: Um, I think step one is hire someone smarter than you. <laughs> Fair. <laughs> um so so then other than that it was just like i let the i let the experts do their job on that one uh so i got i was going in the pool three to four days a week biking three to four days a week running probably like three days a week and then obviously like as you go through each block you know your volume pick ramps up um would the goal of each block to be to develop a different energy system or XYZ, but but I was going to cram it into a nutshell. It's 20 to 30 hour training weeks days where you're eating like close to 10,000 calories. It felt like, and then, and then that's it. You just got to have a lot of spare time for the training.
2: So did your coach also do like all the nutrition for you or tell you what you had to eat and stuff? Uh,
1: No, but like I'm a personal trainer at a gym and I'm a nutrition coach myself at the gym. So it's like, I'm fairly, I have a good idea of what kind of foods I work for me. Uh, Mm -hmm. It was more like helping me, find foods that wouldn't upset my gi i think was the big thing
2: and would your stomach get mostly upset during the run portion of things or would it be variable
1: no that's a yeah good question yeah the run definitely yeah definitely anything in the pool no actually not really because uh, normally like for the pool i'd go in the morning i'd eat like a banana before i go mm-hmm. and then for the event like you have three four hours to eat before you're actually going to get in the water so yeah. most of the time you're swimming you're digested
2: Yeah, definitely. I find that too. Well, like most of the the triathletes that come in are kind of saying that it's mostly during the run that things go and kind of fall apart for them. Um, I've been using this uh, formula of digestive bitters. Have you heard of those at all? No. No. So it's like it really helps with that, that pre run kind of stomach or like runner's trots and stuff that a lot of people get, because it's kind of like that sympathetic nervous system just being jacked up. And it's really hard to digest food at that point. Um, so that these digestive bitters almost tell your body that, um, it's, it's time to digest food. So they're so bitter that it starts to stimulate juices in your mouth. And that kind of primes the rest of your digestive system to say like, Hey, digest this food. Don't, you know, like, you can take them at a certain time before a run and it'll help digest everything before you start running. And I know everything timeline wise can get really cramped, but it like calms down that nervous system a little bit to have a little bit of a digestive process in the, the heat of all the craziness. So it's been working pretty well for runners. You should, uh, you should try it out in your, your plan next
1: time. I'm definitely going to put that in there. That's a, I mean, I'm intrigued.
2: Yeah, that's a hot health tip there for you. Yeah, there we go. Uh, <laughs> nice. So how did the first one go? How was your first Ironman? Did you crush it or was it?
1: So like once we, I guess I should back a little bit because I did a half Ironman as a preparation race before that. Mm-hmm.
2: Uh,
1: so my first one was good. It was uh, it was my first time. So like, for for example, like in the aid station, everyone's rushing trying to like, you know, get this crazy time. I'm like, my uncle was like on the outside of the barrier. And I was like, cause I traveled to BC for this race. So I, I seen him and I was like chatting with him as I was getting changed. And I was like slowly drinking a goo. I, I think I was just like, I wasn't in a rush. I just, I was happy to be there and doing it. Um, it was good. Like I was my hamstrings felt like they were going to fall off after the first one. So, and I had, uh, I had went from like 195 pounds down to like 180, and I stopped strength training cause I thought strength would be my enemy. And then i made a mental note after that race that i needed to c- continue strength training because my hamstrings were way too weak at the end of the half ironman
2: so after this one you're training for the next did it look completely different
1: uh it did a bit so like the timeline for the races was like i had a couple of running races i did which were like short trail runs a half Ironman, man and then the iron man in august and then for the august iron man in that like two months building up to it there was weeks where it was like it felt like all I was doing was working out. It was like, there was like a couple 30 hour weeks. There was like, it was really volume heavy.
2: I'm always curious for like the end goal of, of the Ironman and you have to have such an endurance level at that point, but throughout all of the training, do you ever feel like you hit capacity or you like have to do a deload week or you're just kind of done
1: with things? Uh, yeah, there's definitely some times when I'm, um, I think I fell off the wagon in my training plan a bit and like went like rogue for a workout or two and kind of just like took a mandatory off day and didn't tell my coach. Uh, but I think if you're a pro, maybe not. Uh, I'm just a weekend warrior. So I think for me, it was like my body was shocked. Um, but I, maybe it depends on the person.
2: Yeah, for sure. Uh, yeah, it must. Right. And then it's probably good. Like I tell you know, athletes and patients all the time that those rest days are so important. And, and if your body feels completely maxed out, that's probably the best thing that you could do to recover, hey?
1: Yeah, definitely. Like, you're not gonna make improvements when you're out killing it, you're gonna make improvements when you're chilling and actually recovering.
2: Definitely. So what is this headspace that you, I would imagine, you know, for that level of endurance, you'd have to have this crazy mental fortitude. Do you feel like that's something that, you know, you inherently have, or is this being built and developed over time?
1: I think it's something that you naturally have a little bit of because nobody can, nobody can force you to sign up for an event where it's like, Oh, you're going to go for up to 17 hours or you're going to run for up to 24 hours. Like nobody can want that for you. If that makes sense, you need to want that yourself. Uh, but also I think that a cool thing happens to yourself when you consistently like day after day, get these little wins for yourself. And like each like morning you get up and you do all this training or you, you have a 10 hour work day and you have three workouts that you somehow fit in in the morning and lunchtime and the at nighttime, like you feel real good after you stack those on top of each other.
2: Yeah. And do you feel like, so you were inherently, you know, like born wanting to do something like this. And then as you go through these days where you just crush it, it gets stronger.
1: Y- yeah. Along those lines. But like, I think it was just like, I've always had a chip on my shoulder a little bit. So I think it's just, turned on something that's a little bit, I guess, productive or healthy, like, as opposed to like, it could easily, that same chip could be my demise if I wasn't training for something.
2: Do you know where that chip comes from?
1: Probably my mom. She's pretty spicy. Yeah? Yeah. She's (laughs) very, uh, she's a very, uh, very strong woman. She's like the most loving person I know, but she's also like, if her mind is on something, good luck.
2: So she's pretty stubborn Once she gets her her head set on something, hey? 110%. And then, so, for you, you just got you know your head stuck on Iron Man's, and this was kind of where you're going for the foreseeable future.
1: yeah, so like I, well, at that point, like obviously this is 2019 at that point, I still did not think I could do the Iron Man race, so I, I had to figure it out for myself, and that that was kind of like my obsession until I actually completed Mont Blanc in August, and then once that went away, I kind of felt like I lost my Chip for a while because I was like, what, what's next? What am I going to do? Like, what's my next challenge? I didn't want to become a career triathlete. I still don't consider myself a triathlete, even though I did that. But
2: it's, yeah, definitely. So you work so hard for this thing. Was there any, like, I don't know, you hear about, you know, depression can kind of set in after these things because you, you train and are so devoted to something. And after you complete it, it's kind of like, well, now what? What did that feel like for you?
1: Oh, it was, yeah, no, that's a really good question, actually. Uh, like, literally, like, within 10 minutes of finishing the man, I was, I crossed the finish line, and you're sitting there in, like, the food tent, wrapped in your insulated blanket, and they're trying to give you food, which is, like, the most disgusting thing you've ever seen. Like, it's, it's good food. I'm not talking bad. It's just when you've ran and done exercise that long, like, anything does not look good. So, sitting there in that tent and thinking, like, now what like what i'm like now what like great i did it but like what's yeah it was it was it was kind of depressing
2: so it literally said in that quickly for you
1: like yeah
2: directly finish this and then this hand yeah. space of now what am i gonna do
1: yeah didn't even hug my family yet and i was like what's next wow
2: that's so crazy and like i i again talk to athletes about this all the time of this um like not celebrating their wins and how, you know, crushing that can be long-term because when we don't look back on these things that we've accomplished and not just athletes, like kind of everyone in general, um maybe it's this sensation of like a life unlived if we don't truly appreciate, you know, all the things that we had accomplished. So did you take some time, you know, afterwards or in the next couple of weeks to be like, holy shit, I did it.
1: Yeah. Like I, before that I was like, like, I, I like drinking, I'm young, all these things. So I took time and like, I went camping, hiking, went drinking with my friends. This was pre-COVID, so, like, things were still open. Uh, I don't think I ran for at least three weeks. So I, I did take a good, like, two to three-week vacation where I just enjoyed the rest of the summer.
2: I like it. And then what was your next? What did you decide on next?
1: Uh, so I, I, I decided on training for a 100-miler. So it came, like fall so it's same kind of timelines like around October and I was like okay I need something so I reached out and got myself a running coach so I wanted to do a race but it was a trail race and I had never done a trail ultramarathon before Um, so I trained for a good three or four months and then COVID-19 hit and everything got cancelled and then I was like now what
2: Another COVID strike. Man, this guy is ruining a lot of fun things.
1: Yeah, seriously.
2: <laughs> Definitely. So what was your headspace on that? You're training so hard, then everything just gets shut down. I, I, I've been talking to a lot of people about this and how detrimental that can be to, to headspace. But do you feel you kind of just took it as, as it came and, and moved through it? Or was it pretty detrimental for you?
1: I'd say for like my personal life, it was like I kind of rolled with it and I had a lot of good personal development in that time. Uh, but for my actual training space, yeah, no, it was, it was detrimental. I was, uh, so I was due to go to Utah three weeks later when Justin Trudeau got on the camera and kind of told the whole country to come back home and all these things. Mm. Um, so yeah, for a good two months, like I wasn't following any structured training, I was just kind of like running off intuition, doing kettlebell home workouts, stuff like that. But it was, yeah, it was a dagger.
2: And then what about, so you're a personal trainer. How did that affect your business?
1: Oh, I was, I was laid off from my job for like three months. Um, so I was on serve for a little while and then we, I was on CWS. Um, so I was working from home a little bit. I was running like some free online, like workouts and stuff for like the people I train normally. So to keep them moving, mm-hmm. but it was like, it was, it was a weird time.
2: Yeah. it was so, um, I mean like no one could have prepared for it or, or saw it coming, but there just seemed to be like a huge gap. So all of the, patients that I talked to that couldn't go to their gym anymore were looking for all of these online programs or something to do at home but then the motivation was just crushed at this time because it was so much uncertainty and then you could see all the trainers like wanting to help but like not knowing the best way to like access all of these people did you kind of run into that as well
1: yeah a little bit like it's just like because I think with a lot of people they don't realize that the The whole routine of going to the gym is or going to train is the the best part. So it's not actually like training. It's like getting up, eating, getting dressed, going, seeing the same people, you know, getting in that environment like it's all goes into the process. Right. So then if you take all of that away, even if somebody has a little home gym, it doesn't mean they're going to be able to do the same things with it
2: yeah exactly And this this habit forming thing right like as you said part of it is putting your shoes on part of it is getting the right breakfast and driving there and then when we take this whole habitual structure and like flip it upside down people were really confused why they just couldn't do a home workout and i'm like well because you have to rebuild this entire habitual process to like get down in your basement and do it you know
1: yeah it's true the the whole habit loop has been gone
2: yeah, definitely. Um, what have you been finding like trends now? So, still a personal trainer. You're shut down again right now.
1: Yeah, we're currently shut down. Um, we shut down the twenty fifth, I think, of November. Mm-hmm. Um. So, sorry, you can complete your question now.
2: Yeah, yeah. So, you, like, have you transitioned at all, or have you, you know, gone back online, or or what are you doing right now?
1: Uh. So, like, to give you, you're Canadian, right? You're. Are you in Halifax? Yeah. Yeah. Okay, cool. So I work for Good Life. So mm-hmm. set the tone. Um so right now I'm still talking to my main clients. I train so I'm a manager at a Good Life. So mm-hmm. I went from training let's say thirteen people down to like three actual clients, like full time and then like a boot camp of people. So I'm mostly just checking in on my people, making sure that they're doing okay and seeing if there's anything they they need. Um other than that I'm I'm trying to learn new skills right now. It's I'm actually not spending very much time on training right now.
2: Interesting. Yeah. What are you finding people are uh, struggling with
1: most? Um, I guess, I guess it's just motivation. Right. And like, also like, it's tough because like, if you look in the history of humans, like the worst punishment you can get is solitary confinement. And then yeah. suddenly it's like to save our society, we all need to do some form of solitary confinement. It's, it's a tough ask.
2: Yeah, it's huge and it's plays so much to like the body and the mind. Right. And I think, um, you know, the things that are being taken away from people, you know, physical exercise, social inclusion, all that type of thing is, as you had said, the most detrimental thing we could probably do to human beings.
1: So, yeah, it's, um, I don't know. I just try and help my people with anything they need. It's not just training. Like most of them don't need anything. It's like someone to check in and ask them if they're okay, how they're doing. Mm -hmm. Um, if they, if there's anything they need, I try and do it.
2: Definitely. What other stuff are you getting into?
1: Uh, I'm trying to learn how to edit video right now, actually. Nice. Um, not trying. I am. I'm, I'm just not good yet. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, for future projects, I'd love to know that, how to do that. Um, obviously I don't want to get on the level of those guys from the documentary because they're pros, but.
2: They crushed uh, it. That was amazing.
1: Yeah. It's uh. well, you know, I, I yeah. Edit video is number one. And then I'm trying to rehab my body right now because I'm still not recovered actually. So I'm trying to deal with that too.
2: Definitely. That sounds good. I might need your services in the future then.
1: <laughs> <laughs> cool.
2: Yeah. That's like the connections of, of Nova Scotia. Well, probably everywhere, but I really see that. Like you have one conversation and then this guy's doing this and then you get connected yeah. this way. And I love it so much. Um, So yeah, let's talk about the big run. <laughs> Tell me how this all like came into fruition and, and, like who came up with the idea
1: and walk me through it. Okay. So, um, we're in the COVID 19 pandemic still. So my race was in April for Utah. Now fast forward to like June, June 2nd, I believe is when gyms were allowed to reopen in Nova Scotia. So I started going to the gym again, but it wasn't my gym because good life was still closed until the end of the month. So I started training at a different gym. Uh, in Dartmouth called Prime Strength, if you've heard of it. Yeah, I have. Yeah, so I started training there. I was doing like classic, like strongman training. I was doing like yokes, I was doing Atlas stones and triples (laughs) and all the good stuff. Um, And then once I got back to work at the end of the month, uh, one of my coworkers did the same Ironman as me. And I had really been itching to do an event of some kind and his races were canceled. So then we were like, well, we could plan it ourselves. And then one day I went into his office and I was like, check this out. And we started punching distances. And within two days, we had uh, potential coordinates for, for an event. And, and then three weeks later, we ran it.
2: Crazy. Just
1: three weeks. eh? Yeah. It was like, it probably would have came to, for, we would have planned it like just after Canada day is okay. when the idea would have came in fully. And we actually started like looking on Google maps. Mm -hmm. And then the event itself was August 1st.
2: How did you determine where you were going to go or what uh, part of distance you were going to run? Um,
1: The only requisite I had was it had to be 160 kilometers uh, just because of the hundred miler. It's like for the Ironman, you have the Ironman, which is like the the gold standard for ultra marathons. It's the hundred miler. Mm -hmm. So I just looked around on Google maps. Honestly, I just, I maybe I should have been doing more work that day, but uh, I, (laughs) I, I wanted Peggy's Cove in there probably because I know it's super iconic. Everyone knows Peggy's Cove. Mm-hmm. And then with everything that happened in the shooting down in Puerto Peak, once I checked that distance and seen that that was like 176, I thought that was the perfect coordinate base for people to like pull hard strings in Nova Scotia.
2: Definitely. Yeah. I was curious if you picked Puerto Peak because of that, or if it would just happen to be, you know, the appropriate distance. Um, was there a lot of conversations that you had around that or people kind of being inspired because of, the places that you chose?
1: Yeah, like I had I had stories from like I don't know if she's a great grandmother, or if she's just a very experienced lady in life, but she was like probably in her eighties and she came to the finish line and she was like, Oh, uh, the conversation I had with this woman, like she came up and she she was telling me that she's been in Puerto for over fifty years and it's like one of the sweetest things she's ever seen and she's seen me on TV and wanted to give me a kiss on the cheek and all like and she was like, and she's telling me how she lost someone in the event and how much it meant to her. And then like the reverse of that, like an eight-year-old boy comes out. Like, you don't realize the impact you have until you see it.
2: Yeah, definitely. And I think, you know, throughout the pandemic and everything on top of that, and then for that massacre to happen, it's pretty it's pretty crazy that, you know, last year, all of the things that went down. And I think that, that even just watching the video kind of hit home a little bit this morning for uh, reminiscing of some of those events and, um, you know, still the follow-up from that still all the police officers that we talked to who have PTSD and and all that sort of stuff. I think like, I definitely want to share the video as much as possible because it's kind of, you know, a tribute to all of that as well. Hey.
1: Yeah. Just inject a little bit of positivity in a really grave circumstance, right? Like it's Mm -hmm. like, just, you can only watch negativity for so long until eventually you want to see if you can inject a little bit of positive in your, in your, in your home, you know, Nova Scotia, like you said, it's very close knit, so if your whole province is suffering, like if you can do anything to help, you want to.
2: Yeah, definitely. So on run day, like gear me up, what happened? I saw you, like you get to see clips of you coming down in the elevator and like, kind of like you're not ready to go. And it, it looked pretty cool. It looked a little bit nerve wracking, but t- walk us
1: through it. Uh, yeah, so you're right. I was definitely nervous, um, but I got up early, like 4.30. Videographers got there at like 4.45. Um we got ready. I triple checked all our bags. Ate a big breakfast. Um, then we just got ready. Went to Peggy's Cove. I told them I needed to be there an hour early, just because you know my dad was in the military. If we're not early, we're late. And also, like, I needed some time to like be alone and get my head ready. And then, then we started running. Like, we had a goal pace. Like, we planned everything. So, like, mm-hmm. at, at that point, there was no stress that could happen because every controllable we could have imagined we've already put some kind of plan in place for it so then it's just you go out and you do what you plan to do
2: during the event like was there times that you know you wanted to give up were you just like i'm done this is brutal or was it pretty smooth sailing up until the point where your kind of body gave out on you
1: no like okay I, I wouldn't say i wanted to give up give up but there was definitely like it was uncomfortable for most of it it was uncomfortable because mm-hmm. like you got to think like once I, once I crossed the first marathon, I had never ran more than a marathon before. Mm-hmm. So like, I had this weird mental shift where it's like, okay, now I'm in unknown waters and I got another 130 kilometers, 135 kilometers in these unknown waters. So it's weird. Cause then like every kilometer or two, I don't know if you ever heard this, but like it's almost like a different part of my body was trying to reason with me and say like, stop. So it's like, you're running for two kilometers and then your left foot's like, Oh, I'm seriously injured, Liam, you should stop and then you ignore it. And then your right quad is like, oh no, I'm the real injury. You should stop. And then, but you just ignore it and then keep going.
2: How did you ignore it? Like what are the things that you were saying to yourself or how did you get through those times?
1: Uh, I just kept reminding myself why I did it. Like I knew it was going to be a challenge, everything. I'm, I'm obsessed with like the literature of like what happens when you do these kinds of events. Mm -hmm. And like I knew I was going to hit a point where like I felt like I couldn't go on more and I knew I was going to be uncomfortable. But I think some of the best things that can happen to you are when you're uncomfortable. So I just kept telling myself that, like, if you think you're uncomfortable, but you're thinking about it, it's probably actually not that bad.
2: Yeah, if you have the capacity to like stew in it a little bit, it's probably not as bad as you think it is.
1: Yeah, I'm fully cognitive still. Like, it's not that bad. It could be worse.
2: (laughs) Yeah, that's that's a great point. And I think like I'm always trying to I don't know, build my own mental fortitude and then kind of instill that onto others as well. Like the capacity of a human being is absolutely unbelievable. And we haven't even tapped into probably, most of us have probably not even come close to any sort of breaking point, you know? And I think in the video at one point you said, yeah, I felt like maxed out and I was probably only at 40% at that point. That was pretty wild. That's like a pretty strong comment to say, hey?
1: Well, it's, it's true. And like, that's not my original thought. That's like straight from like, I think David Goggins coined that one, mm-hmm. but it's true. Cause like, if you would have taken me in that space right there and put a gun to my head and said like, Hey, I'm going to blow your brains out. If you don't do what you did and some, I would have done it. Or like, you know, if, if someone I love was on the line, so it's like, obviously you don't want to, but technically if I had to, my body was capable of going that- on. Yeah.
2: yeah. What about like, so some people get into that negative like headspace of being like you know you push through it you're being a baby all that sort of stuff and then some people kind of think of the lighter side of things where does your head go
1: uh it i was probably like um if you're thinking of like an uh, angel and a devil it was like they were probably fighting a bit <laughs> fair so it's like you know there's times when you're like like especially so in that midpoint you know when you can see like the clear emotional change when it says like 89k left And Andrew's like, Liam's hurting now, like that part of the video. Yeah. That that point in the race really fucked my head up just because we're losing sunlight. And I know we're about to hit the halfway point when I sit down. So then I'm already the most uncomfortable I've ever been. It's getting dark, getting a little bit cold. And then now I get to repeat that whole thing one more time. So in that space, that's probably when I had the biggest battle in my mental of like trying to stay positive. Cause it's like, you signed up for this. You're still not at your breaking point. Um, imagine all the things you'll be able to do in your life. If you complete this and you keep pushing forward, like all these things. And also like you wanted $2,800 for this charity and you're already at 8,000. So like, how far can you get it? Mm -hmm. So it's like trying to reaffirm the good things.
2: Definitely. And so everything was for big brothers, big sisters, Hey.
1: Yeah. So it was like, uh, we were trying to raise 2,800, so a hundred for each victim, um, of like both Porta Peak and then the cyclone crash and the snowboard pilot. Mm-hmm. Um, but it snowballed and we got a little bit more. So yeah, all the money went directly to big brothers, big sisters of both Halifax and then Colchester County.
2: Oh, that's so awesome. Um, and was that in them? like, did you kind of tell yourself stories of that while you were running? Like, were those things motivating factors for you or were you just kind of in a unit to say like, keep going?
1: Um, I think it helped, but like, to say like, that was the driving force would probably be a lie. Like, I think the fact that we can do good for them was like, it was, it was an icing on the cake, but I, even if none of my friends or family came and there was no charity and no cameras, I still probably last summer would have ran tried to run a hundred miles. Cause it was just like a personal test that needed to happen.
2: Definitely. What does nutrition look like throughout that day? What does hydration look like throughout that day? I think, you know, a lot of us fall short on fueling appropriately. And a lot of us definitely fall short on staying hydrated. What was your, uh, setup or system for that?
1: Oh, we, that I spent probably personally 10 hours planning this and researching this, mm-hmm. uh, but we had a specific amount of water to salt ratio I had to hit. Uh, and my pacer would come up to me and he would check on me every 15 minutes or so and say like, okay, how many, I'd have two 500 milliliter water bottles on my chest. Mm-hmm. he'd say, all right, how much is left in this bottle? This one should be gone by now did you take your salt pill recently? And like, they were they were on, my, on me pretty hard about that.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And then I was aiming for about 60 grams of carbs an hour, give or take, wasn't okay. an exact science, but um, food wise, um, it's the first event I've done that my nutrition didn't fail me actually. Like even the point when I went down with my knee, uh, GI wise, no GI distress the whole time. Uh, my urine was the correct color. Uh, I was fully cognitive. My sweat was working, like everything was working.
2: That's so awesome. So you pretty well nailed it.
1: Yeah. For nutrition, we nailed it.
2: What kind of foods were you eating?
1: Uh, So I was eating rice balls was one of my main source. Mm -hmm. So it's like, if you literally picture like um, two or three cups of rice, and then you'd have like, I think two or three pieces of bacon chopped up really fine, scrambled eggs chopped up really fine, all mixed in a bowl with like salt and other stuff. And then you Mm -hmm. take like an ice cream style scooper and make them into balls. And you have two balls in each baggie. Each baggie was like 130 calories. Um, so rice balls, I probably drank about 20 salted caramel goos that day. So I never want to see that flavor again. (laughs) Uh, and then like other things, like whatever you can get down at some point, like I was eating like honey stinger waffles and I was eating, um, like the goo, like the cliff blocks and like, like, it's like, I had my green light foods. I had my yellow and then my red, and I didn't have to go to red till like the very end. Awesome.
2: And like, that's so awesome. At no point there was any GI distress with any of that. Those are quick, you know, digestible carb sources, but had you had had experiences before where you'd be eating the same thing and have a lot of gut issues?
1: Oh, and the Iron Man, I probably paid my respects to the holy porta potties at least six or seven times.
2: Did you? Yeah. Um, And would you call that like a hydration issue or more nutrition or a combination of the two?
1: Honestly, I don't know because I didn't have a plan. Like I didn't, I, I just was ignorant, honestly. Like I, Each I'm I'm a firm believer that each event, whether you succeed or you fail, there's a lot of great lessons to be learned. Mm -hmm. And I learned to, to really respect the nutrition side of the athletic world and the Ironman race. Cause I just didn't have a plan. I was eating whatever I wanted at the aid stations and like Ironman, like they're like buffets. When you roll up, they have everything and they're like offering you anything under the sun. Like I was drinking caffeine too early. I was just all these foods I'd never trained with. It just wasn't smart.
2: Yeah. And it's so wild how much nutrition and hydration can impact, you know, an endurance event. And I work with so many athletes that are kind of blown away about the change that they can get, even with, you know, staying hydrated, or as you said, like having the perfect, perfect
1: ratio of um, salt to uh, water too. Hey. Yeah. A hundred percent. So it's like, it was, uh, it was refreshing to have it succeed this time Mm because Like, you know, a lot of people don't realize with salt, especially with endurance sports, is like if you're sweating for like 12 hours straight, you're losing a ton of salt. But if you're, with our whole life, we're told like, oh, be scared, don't eat too much salt. It's bad for you. Yeah. But if you're an athlete, salt's your best friend. Yeah, you and need it so much. Yeah, and your food would be seriously gross if you're going to try and eat enough salt while you're running that long. So it's like, then you look to supplements, exactly what they're made for, supplements to supplement a, an already good plan. So then it's like, those things will make you better.
2: I love it, man. That's uh, the headspace I would like you to yell from the rafters to every athlete. (laughs) Yeah, it's always shocking to me of how little nutrition is considered oftentimes. And um, I'm sure you see it with a lot of, you know, the the people that you work with as all those all of your clientele as well of, you know, really emphasizing that nutrition piece of things. And, you know, in the gym, you're not going to get to your max benefit if you don't take care
1: of things in the kitchen too, right? No, you cannot train a bad diet. And like people are like, Oh, I need to take this really really niche supplement like i need i need to take my bcas it's like but they sleep four hours a night or like you mm-hmm. know or or they have they flip flop between three pan- plans in the last two months it's like you nail the basics first mm-hmm. you get them really really good and then you slowly add in little things that'll make it better but like too many people want to make this drastic big change but they don't want to address like the fundamentals
2: yeah it's 100 percent like i talk about you know walking or crawling before you can run and it's it's so much to that and we get you know, bombarded with stuff all day, every day of, you know, the best protein powders and the best, as you said, branched chain <laughs> amino acids and yeah. all these companies trying to market like, you know, female specific brands. Now, this is the big thing I'm starting to see. And I'm just like, whoa, 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 whoa. Like you don't even eat real food yet. Like there's these yeah. steps to all of this. Right. And if you yeah. want to waste your money by all means go ahead, but it, it's very much so like you, as you said, you can't, you know, outwork a poor diet and you need to sleep. Sleep is the top priority for all of these things. So mm-hmm. that's a great question. What about sleep during your 24 hours?
1: I got nine minutes in.
2: <laughs> great, great, that sounds awesome. So you just like fell asleep for nine minutes and then got up and was ready to go again?
1: Yeah, so like you would have seen it in the video like when it was like near the end, like 140K in. Mm-hmm. Um, by then it was, you know, I was tired and I was exhausted and like, like I had shin splints from probably 45 kilometers onwards. So at that point I had been running on shin splints for like 95 kilometers. So I was just like, I was ready for like a little, like a little rest at that aid station. And we were already pretty sure I was going to miss the 24 hour time. Mm-hmm. So I was like, at, the, at that point, my head shifted from, I need to be, I need to get that time to like, okay, we just need to finish this thing. Like we're close. We just need to finish it. Mm-hmm. So I had planned for this too. So I was like, okay guys, I'm going to take caffeine. And I'm going to sleep for 20 minutes. And then at the 20 minute mark, I don't care if you have to punch me in the face, you wake me up. I have to get up and I have to continue. Mm-hmm. So I chugged it. I chugged like most of a Red Bull and I was drinking like a Coca-Cola at that aid station too. Cause like I couldn't eat anymore. It's quick carbs. Like anyone who, who does endurance sports, sometimes people would be confused at the food that goes in, but mm-hmm. Coke saved me in the Ironman and it actually worked good in the run this time. Um, so I chugged those fell asleep. And then nine minutes into my nap, I just spurred it up and I, It was like, where's my vest? I need to keep going.
2: Wow. That's so wild. So what was the progression from there? So I know some of the guys finished it for you. What happened? What was, what went down?
1: So uh, I ran for another probably seven or eight kilometers from that aid station. Mm -hmm. And then I was going down the most buttery, unassuming suburban hill in like the outside of Churro. And as I was going down, I felt this pull, this like pull in like the inner part of my right knee. And it felt like a pull and a burn. Now, for me, it's like I did my knee when I was a 17. So I I had felt the pop and like the burn and all that stuff before. So for me, it was like it was a red flag, but it wasn't strong enough. So I kept going maybe another 50 meters. And then the same kind of pull and burn, but stronger this time. So then I was like, ah, guys, something doesn't feel right. Mm -hmm. So then I tried going for maybe 20 more meters and then one more really big one boom big pull burn so then I just I had I, I sat down it's funny one of my friends was taking a photo at the time and he actually caught a selfie at the exact moment when I was like holding my knee and like grimacing and it's like him all smiley <laughs> uh, but, so it's a funny photo actually but at that point I sat down um, we ended up being on this person's lawn in Turo for like probably an hour. The aid station came to us. There was like 30 of us congregated on this poor person's yard. Um, I took anti-inflammatories. I took painkillers. I iced it. I heated it. Um, nothing worked. I, I couldn't, I couldn't bear weight on it to get up or down. Um, and then at one point we had to make a decision. Do we pull the plug? Do we continue? Like what's next?
2: And at that point, didn't you grab crutches for a bit or was this beforehand?
1: Oh yeah. That's when we got the crutches out. So <laughs> You
2: did another 4K on crutches?
1: Yeah. Well, cause like, I wasn't sure like that. It was actually an injury or not. Cause mm-hmm. you got to think my body at this point has been reasoning with me for over a hundred kilometers.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: So, like it's hard to tell what's real and what's not. So it's like, okay, let's try it on crutches for a little while. Still got one good leg. And then, if it, if we feel better, then great. We run the rest. If not, we we see how quick we can go on crutches. So then, yeah, I did four four ten crutches. Um, it went pretty good. It was just slow. Like anyone who's been on crutches before, like you're not fast. It took like two hours to do like four k, maybe more. And then it gets bad. Like both both hands just fully like blistered. Lats sides yeah. all blistered too. Yeah. So it's like he has no reprieve anyways.
2: Yeah. How close were you at that point?
1: Still had 25K left.
2: Oh. And so what was like the headspace or what, how did you maneuver around just being like, okay, like I'm done. Can you guys continue on?
1: It was so like, I think everyone knew it at this point, especially after like for two and a half hours of like slow crutching. Mm -hmm. Um, So it was two headspaces. One, it's like, okay, we tried it on the crutches it worked kind of, but also like it's getting slower as we go. Um, and then two, it's like, we could finish it on crutches, like hypothetically, we could, but it'd be another 24 hour event. And at what cost? Right. So then at that point, like we knew we had to finish it. And Andrew was still in great form. My pacer, Elliot and Matt had already agreed that they were going to run the last 50 with us. So they were, the three of those guys were piping hot and they were ready to run. So I said like, look guys, I did everything i could it's not it's not my race is done for the day but we we still have two aid stations left and we have people waiting for us at the finish line so you guys need to go so i took them like one second and then they were like all right let, and then gone
2: <laughs> and where was your head at were you like crash were you devastated like what what were you thinking
1: no i was proud yeah because like like okay if i if i would have pulled the plug 4k before that didn't try the crutches maybe i'd be gutted or Mm -hmm. if i had daddy greens i copped out on myself and told myself a story and then quit there maybe i'd be upset but like like i literally like i pushed myself so much further than i thought i could ever go Mm -hmm. that like i i found my breaking point so i have no uh, ill feelings about that
2: yeah i'm so glad you said that because (sighs) You know, so many times you even when I'm talking to like goal setting for young athletes and stuff like that, in the initial speech, I always say like, maybe you won't hit this exact thing, but you'll learn something about it and you'll learn your boundaries and you'll, you'll learn what to do for the next time. And you'll learn so much from it that it, it's like a huge goal in itself, just the learning process that goes through everything. And you crushed it. Like you did, you went so far, you know, and then you did four more K on crutches. That's mind blowing to me and, and pretty crazy. Right.
1: Yeah, no, it was a, it was a huge success. And we also finished with like four times the charity goal Mm -hmm. and then the impact of like all the amazing, beautiful people that reached out to me and like told me how it touched their lives. Like to say it was anything other than a success would just be wrong.
2: Definitely. Yeah. So
1: (laughs) what's next for you? Uh, it's a good question. Honestly, right now we're planning another event next summer. I was hoping to be in that. Now, I don't know, like my, my knee is kind of, so I've i been physioing for the last three months or so, and it was getting better. And then I started trying to get back into training. So like, okay, you can run up to 5K, 6K, keep it light once or, once or twice a week. I did that one run in immediately 3K and I was like, something's not right in my knee, like sharp pain. Um, so then I went and seen uh, physio again. Still nothing, and nobody knew what was wrong, and then eventually after trying to, I'm filming a YouTube show right now, mm-hmm. which is like CrossFit-style workouts, I did one of those, felt wrecked for two days after, and I went and got an MRI. I said, this is this is it. What's um,
2: the MRI showing?
1: I got. I have tears in my meniscus.
2: Gotcha. And what are they going to do for you, anything?
1: Uh, it's It depends. It's Nova Scotia, so it's not the fastest process. Mm-hmm. Um, Definitely. So my doctor called me early last week he said you'll be in touch with the specialist the guy who did my knee before dr Mm Legay. um so i'm hoping to hear from his office this week and then they'll tell me if they're going to scope it if they're going to rehab it like what the plan is
2: definitely yeah keep me posted on what their plan is the um yeah nova scotia is in a tough spot for any sort of imaging i'm surprised you got imaging already and then i don't know
1: I, i went private I was going to say, yeah, it it costed, but it was, it was worth
2: it. It was worth it. You needed to see what was going on. And, you know, the backup from, you know, all the cancellations over COVID is just going to be the next five years probably, you know, of, of people trying to get stuff done and, and pain um, and injury management is like, unfortunately the system is just so backed up here in Nova Scotia and it's just a sin of the amount of people that are in pain, but they're not, dying from it or there's nothing that you know you just can't do your sports anymore you can't do the things that you you love to do so it's 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 a tough go for athletes here
1: it is and it's like unfortunately you're right you nailed it when you said it's not essential though so it's like they're not going to die if they don't get this treatment so Mm -hmm. they're seen as that like low priority but Mm -hmm. what they really love doing is on hold until they know what's wrong or so yeah that was that was the thought process for just biting the bullet making the investment in yourself and just saying all right like I called this com- this company private in Lacewood. Yeah. Next day they could get me in. It's like What's it goes from being. What's the place? Um. Oh, I'm gonna. I, I I forget it off the top of my head. It's it's right on Lacewood. Like uh, if you know where. Uh, Two fifty five Lacewood something Health Center.
2: You know the address at least. That's
1: all you need to know. Yeah, I know the address.
2: Yeah, but so many people don't even know that you can get, um, you can pay out of pocket. And yes, it's very expensive. But like, if you want to figure out what's wrong, then, you know, that maybe you're on the option, especially here for the next couple of years, right?
1: Yeah, buy your time back. It's like, if you're going to wait, like, Halifax, they quoted me 14 months for an MRI mm-hmm. in Halifax, if it was not COVID, no backup. Mm-hmm. Okay. New Glasgow, they said between four to 10 months, which mm-hmm. is already broad range. Yeah. So it's like, you can wait that long, or... He sucks. You bite the bullet, you pay the 900 or whatever it is. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, within a week.
2: Definitely. Um, Have you read much into like the injection therapy, like prolotherapy or platelet-rich plasma or anything like that for knee Nothing, no. And I'm going to give some stuff on it. It's pretty amazing the results that we're getting for knee injuries, uh, not even just knee injuries, like anything ligamentous, like anything meniscal, like um, definitely getting people back to their sports faster and, you know, it buys you a scope, right? Which is another downtime for surgery and all that sort of stuff. So there's options for pain management. We just have to figure out, you know, if you're a candidate or not for it.
1: Damn. Okay. I'm, I'm definitely interested in that
2: see Nova Scotia, make connections yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> keep going That's that cool. way I'll def- yeah i'll keep you posted on some information on that and um in clinic i get wicked results with prolotherapy it's it's pretty amazing how quick you can bring back like tennis elbow and you know a lot of knee injuries a lot of uh, lower back injuries that sort of stuff so um yeah i'll definitely send you some stuff on that very cool yeah the whole premise behind it is like Right now you're in like a chronic inflammatory stage in the knee and what we want to do is reinitiate like acute inflammatory reaction because that's how the body heals itself. So if you looked at rolling your ankle, you know how it blows up and gets hot and swollen? yeah that's all the inflammation going to that area and all the growth factors and all the healing factors to say like we're trying to heal this area so what we do with the injection is it actually causes an inc- acute inflammatory reaction again and again tells the body to bring all of the healing tissue there so we're getting some pretty wicked results and then it does save another surgical intervention for it
1: cool hey, if i don't have to get my knee opened up again i'm a happy man
2: Definitely. Yeah. People are saying that like another downtime for surgery, more time that goes into it. And then also surgically, oftentimes a lot of the nerves get injured and cut. And so then there's a still like lack of sensation in some areas. And there's still, you know, this nagging nerve pain that doesn't always go away either. So um, without having to open you up, there's a couple benefits to it too. That's very cool yeah man so yeah i am always curious people with endurance sports of like just because it's so out of my wheelhouse of this headspace that you can get into or even like want to do this so you know there's probably a bunch of people well hopefully a bunch of people listening and curious about like what motivates you to do these things and um what would you say to them or how do you get into this stuff how do you start it
1: um I think the biggest attraction to me to these big audacious like endurance events is the the process that you have to engage in before the event because like with some things if you're naturally really talented like let's say you're really strong naturally at weightlifting you can be pretty good and it can be pretty quick where you can progress but if you want to run for 24 hours there's nobody can substitute that amount of volume that you need to get in your aerobic system before this event so it's like, I, I love the feeling of having to get up early to get my training sessions in or having to plan my weeks, like weeks ahead to make sure I can get everything in. Like, I love that busyness and that discipline that it brings. And then for the actual event, it's like, if you're suffering, but you're not dying from it, you're probably going to get better. So it's like, if you can get comfortable making yourself uncomfortable, then when the world throws things that are very uncomfortable at you, it's okay, because you've already made yourself more uncomfortable than the world could ever try and make you. So it's like, it's like preparing yourself for future things that could come up.
2: I love that. That's such a, that's such a great note to share with people. And I think, you know, life is difficult. And the more times you make yourself uncomfortable, you're able to adapt. And that adaptation process is what makes us better, right? Yeah. Yeah. No, I love that. Um, so for, I always kind of like finish it on if, if, young kids are coming up or they're super interested in what you're doing, a, can they reach out to you? How do they do it? And B, would you have any like comments for them or notes for people that want to do what you're doing?
1: Yeah. So, uh, if you want to reach out to me, please do so. Uh, I'm not, I answer I'll answer your message. Uh, I'm most active on Instagram, I'd say. So, uh, Liam McVarnick, L I A M surname m c v a r n o z k Uh, i will answer you if you have a question or if you even if you just want to ask me something or talk about something um if you as far as advice goes just find something you enjoy doing um and if it doesn't if it's not something you enjoy doing if it's something you're slightly interested in but kind of scares you you're probably on the right track as long as it's a healthy scare i'm not telling you to go do something dangerous that's not productive to your body don't do that but if it's like, it you, you scares you because you're not sure if you can do it and maybe your friends might judge you or all these things, just do it. Like, I think you'll feel so good on the other side of doing that task that it'll compound and then you can build on top of it. And then before you know it, you're a different person.
2: I love that. That's that's so well said and such a great note for, for anyone listening. Um, thanks so much for sharing your time, man. I'm definitely going to share the documentary. It's, yeah, it definitely gets the emotions flowing. You can kind of see on every angle of like the good, the bad and the the
1: stressful throughout all of that too. They did a really yeah. good job. Yeah, they captured the suffering pretty well and you can see the highs and the lows very evidently. So uh, I appreciate if you share that around. We're close to 10K views too, which is kind of cool.
2: That's awesome. Yeah, no, they did an amazing job and the music and everything just kind of gets the, the heartstrings for sure. Cool. Thank you very awesome, much. Man.
1: I appreciate you having me on here.
2: Yeah, no, thanks for coming on and uh, we'll chat soon again.
1: Thank you very much. Take care.